This is it, brothers and sisters, the end of the road, episode 25 of Welcome to the Faro, my badge and my gun. Bit of a bonus episode, because this is about post-mission life generally. I might hit a few timestamps here and there, but as I've gotten in the habit of sharing a scripture with you at the beginning of every episode, this one shall be no different. Genesis. 224 Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Here are some things that I learned, some things that happened to me, and some advice that I would give to anybody coming home from a mission. Let's jump right in. I will spare you the travel log, like I mentioned last week. My parents took me around Spain, and then, you know, we went to every city where I'd served, and then we stopped in Madrid and did a few sessions at the temple there, and I was trying to be patient and not, you know, tap my foot and, hey, let's get out of here, I want to go home. I had actually tried to talk my parents into not coming when I had about six months left, because I just wanted to go home when it was done. I didn't want to drag it out but they wanted a vacation and you wanted to see where I'd served and all that so we went I got home and they took me straight over to my stake president's house Uh, and I had my exit interview I got released took my name badge off and went home and if I made any immediate mistakes when I got home it's that I took a little bit too long I took too much time trying to figure out what I was going to do and trying to I, I, I waited too long to, to kind of get into the rhythm of home life I allowed myself too long of a grace period it was several weeks before uh, I even bothered trying to get a job or anything like that I, I kind of fell back on the excuse that I needed to decompress but I, I should have hit the ground running they, they say that you know, you'll be home for a couple of months before you realize kind of how off-kilter you are with the rhythm of post-mission life. I think that's going to happen either way. Um, you might as well just jump into it and, and start getting things done. Um, I was starting to answer some other big questions for my life. What was I going to do for school? I guess I could start dating now. Uh, you know, all that jazz. I had a girl who had been writing to me the entire mission. We'd been friends since EFY in high school. Pen pals and yada, yada, yada. And, uh, you know, fell for each other through writing and stuff. And then we started dating and she realized that, you know, me and writing was different than me in person. And, you know, we dated for a few months and then she broke up with me in January. And I was, I was devastated at the time because, you know, I, I had this idea that I was going to come home and sweep her off her feet and everything was going to be, you know, pretty similar to how fast my brother had gotten married. And, you know, in, in retrospect, I am extremely glad that she did dump me for a number of reasons, namely that I wouldn't have met Shara and and married her. But it was, it was a good experience for me to go to, even if it even go through, excuse me, even if it was a sour one at the time. Um, Probably the first bit of bad advice that I took was my dad told me to go take this job with a guy doing, you know, some kind of sales or whatever. You'll make $10,000 a month. Yeah, it's BS. 
especially when you're selling like mortgages and investment packages and you're 21 and you don't know anything about this and nobody's going to listen to you and you know oh but you know if you if you don't do this you're passing up a huge opportunity and I didn't yet have experience with sales hucksters and how they they try to psych you into buying into their bullcrap and that was my first time it wasn't really the last time the last time would come a couple of years later but eventually when I quit that job um, you know my dad just kind of rolled his eyes or whatever and my mom's like yeah I'm kind of disappointed you didn't stick it out longer and then <laughs> like a year later she's like oh man I'm so glad you got out of that I was like yeah I don't think you remember what you said about that <laughs> I, I had a different plan for myself, a different idea of what I wanted to do. Back in in that time in Nevada, they had something called the Millennium Scholarship, where if you graduated after the year 2000, they gave you $10,000 to go to an in-state school. And my plan was to go to, to the uh, Community College of Southern Nevada, now just called College of Southern Nevada, and get certified and trained as a mechanic. Because uh, you know I, I wanted to work on cars. But that girlfriend told me that you know, she, she deserved at least uh, a husband with a, a bachelor's and preferably a master's. And, you know, I wanted to please her. And so I, I changed my plans for that semester and took that sales job as well. And she dumped me a month later. So I think the takeaway from that one is pretty obvious. Uh, so I got dumped by my girlfriend, quit a bad job that I didn't like. And then in the summer of 2006, uh, you know, my, my late sister, came into my room one night, um, you know, around 6 p.m. I'd just gotten off work. I was working at a credit union. It was crappy. Gotten home just in time to throw my shoes on so I could run over to FHE for, at the singles ward. And my sister was crying. And, um, you know, we we weren't really, like, the sit-down-and-talk types with me and my siblings. We were more often at each other's throats. But if she came in and was, when was devastated about something, then it was, you know, probably a big deal. You know, she comes in and she's she's bawling. She sits down on my bed and she goes, "Did you hear about Dad?" And I said, "No, what's going on?" And she goes, "He's involved with another woman." So there was a gut punch there that took a few hours to really land and for me to process. And found out my my parents after 25 years they were having some pretty bad marital problems. And uh, you know went to go talk to my family ward bishop about it because he talked you know to my dad and they were my dad was you know figuring out what the heck he was going to do. And I was still living at home at the time, and, you know, again, I I learned a retrospective lesson from that, but this was all stuff that happened within the first year. My parents' marriage would end, my dad would go marry this other woman that he was having the affair with, and uh, suddenly at at age 22 I had to to cope with a very different situation for my life. Um, Frequently these things resulted in me calling the mission office kind of in the same way that Higley had called while I was in Girona to get my number to talk to me I ended up calling Jones to talk to him um, tried not to do it too much because that's an expensive phone call but and you know also technically a no-no but you know I, I needed my mission companion I needed my, my trench buddy I didn't have that kind of camaraderie or that proximity or that friendship with with anybody back stateside and he kind of helped me to, to center myself and, you know, re- remember the things that I had relied on in the mission, things that I didn't have as ready access to in civilian life, as it were. Um, I missed the structure and the environment of mission life, the rigidity of it. You know, everyday life is 
frankly, a lot harder. Uh, you know, but you have the same access to your Father in Heaven. You need, you need to find out how to rely on that you know, in civilian life. All of these things come to a head with, uh, with some points that I want to bring up here. Um, I decided to kind of condense this into five pieces of advice for those who are just coming home. And even if you didn't serve a mission or even if you've been home for a while, these things are probably still applicable. So see if there's a way that you can apply them to your own life. <laughs> Number five. This was a bit that Elder Jones gave me that I didn't immediately agree with him on, but uh, experience quickly showed me that he was right. <laughs> Don't date anyone who knew you before the mission. <laughs> he he had that as, a, as an oft-repeated rule and... Uh, my plan was, of course, quickly to go home and ignore him and start dating my, my pen pal. And uh, that ended poorly. And I, I dated a couple of girls in the singles ward who'd known me before the mission. And uh, I think the reasoning behind it is just that sometimes a girl can make it difficult for you to be a newer version of yourself if she has an expectation of you to be similar to a previous version of yourself. Um, I, I think there's definitely some truth to that. Well, why aren't you like the way you were in high school? It's, well, I served a mission for two years. I'm a different person now. Number four, go to the singles ward immediately. I had, I had a negative view of singles wards that was not entirely well-founded. Um, I don't know. I can't remember where that perception came from, but I went to my family ward for a few months and you need to be around people your own age who are in a similar situation if you're a young single adult. Um, you know, that's that's a good environment for you, and it's a great place where you can go and be an example to other people and, uh, you know, live the gospel in a place where you're surrounded by people who who are kind of going through the same things you are. Uh, I think that's that's more of a constructive environment for you and a more supportive environment for you than, than just a family ward. Not a knock on family wards, but there's a reason why they have those singles wards. Um, especially if you've got a really good bishop, which I did. Number three, compromise on absolutely nothing from the mission, especially chastity standards. In my exit interview with, with President Watson, he emphasized um, avoiding R-rated movies uh, post-mission. And, you know, I've in the 15 years that I've been home, I've broken that rule a handful of times. And I, I get what he means. You know, even though I've been a blue-collar worker and I've been working in shops and garages and on construction sites and all that stuff, you know, hearing it as a symptom of being blue-collar is different than choosing to sit down and watch it as a form of entertainment. Your, your choices matter and the things that you fill your life with really matter. Uh, as for the chastity bit, um, you know, Elder Morgan, my zone leader when I was in Girona, was frequently saying that, um, you know, he, when he got home, he was never going to make out again until he got married, you know, and for the world at large, which doesn't really have a high regard for, for chastity and sexual purity and all that stuff, making out might not seem a big deal, but making out in sexual intercourse, use the same engine, you know, chemically, biologically, emotionally, all that stuff. And, and it throws interference into your, into your spiritual signals. 
and uh, you know it, it makes it different to hold or makes it difficult to hold on to that same spirit that you've held for all the time that you were on a mission. It clouds your judgment. Don't get me wrong; it's plenty fun, but it's a it's a great way to fog yourself up out at sea. So don't do it. Don't go don't go fooling around with things that are going to make it difficult for you to have the spirit that you had as a missionary. Number two, take advice from people, but follow your own vision for your career. Um, this was a lesson that I had to kind of reaffirm to myself this summer, 15 years after my mission. I came home and I wanted to be a mechanic. My dad told me that was a stupid idea. My girlfriend told me that was a stupid idea, that I wasn't aiming high enough or whatever. Well, you know, guess what there's a shortage of now? Mechanics. Guess what we have too much of now? mortgage specialists and people with $80,000 of college debt for theater degrees. It's stupid. You know, do something practical, do something useful, and especially follow a wholesome vision for yourself. Yes, absolutely take advice from people, listen to what they have to say, but don't put any stock in their opinion if you're going to disregard what they say when it comes to your career, you are the one who will have to live with those career choices for the rest of your life. I had the time and the money to go be the thing that I've wanted to be for pretty much my entire life. It would have been a springboard for me to move from being a regular mechanic into a heavy-duty mechanic, working with cranes and big trucks and getting up into the high five figures, low six figures. I could have had a much different, much more fruitful career for myself but I kept taking advice from other people on what they thought my career for myself should be. When I finally did decide to buckle down and go to school, I felt like I had to choose nursing because it was, you know, a noble and necessary profession and whatnot. And then I got one semester into chemistry and I realized, dang, I suck at this and I don't want to do it. I took a job in a nursing home. I was there for one day before I told my manager I was not going to be able to hack it at this. I was going to stay on until I could find another job, which I did. Uh, it's just not, it's not worth it to shove yourself into somebody else's career vision. You know, you, I, again, I will say this, you're the one who has to live with the decisions that you make. It's, it's okay to just tell people, look, I, I love you, but I want to do this with my education and with my vocation. And so I'm going to do that. Eventually I dropped out of college. And I was going to try to figure something else out to do. And my brother wanted me to go work for him at his sticker shop. And I kind of took that as a shortcut. Figuring, well, I'll just do that until I hit it big with my writing. <laughs> no. That was ten years ago. I lasted about two and a half years at his shop before we parted ways. And then I got into trucking. And I've been able to survive at trucking. But the thriving periods have been fewer and farther in between and then just this summer my mom was like hey I've got this idea for a business and I told her I was like look I worked for you and dad in high school I worked for my brother when I was married I think I'm done working for family and I'm especially done doing what anybody else has an idea for me to do I'm going back to school next year brothers and sisters uh, found something else that I want to do that I can also balance with my current workload I'm 36 years old. I don't ever want to have a midlife crisis. And I think if I don't make some changes with what I'm doing in my life right now, I'm likely to have one. So, you know, my wife and I are making some, some plans to change our current situation with 
you know, how we're living and, and what I'm going to do for the future. And, you know, I don't want to be a truck driver past 40 years old. So I'm, I'm putting my foot down now, which is good. I just wish that I had done it then and told people like, Hey, you know, I I know that you love me, but I, this is, this is my decision and this is what I'm going to do. The last one, number one, I will say go to the temple weekly, especially after your mission. Um, it'll be, it'll eventually get hard for you to, to make the time to go to the temple once a month. The president told me that in my exit interview as well. Um, he goes, if, if, it'll get to the point where if you're going twice a month, that's pretty good. Just with other things that you'll have going on. This year, I set a goal to go once a month and do some family names and stuff. I got January and I got February and I was getting ready to do March when COVID hit and the temples have been shut down since then. And I'm really feeling that. Um, in my ward, my calling right now, I'm the executive secretary. So I'm, I'm handling all of Bishop's scheduling and calendaring and appointment-ing and whatever. And it, it pleases me to see how frequently people reach out to say, hey, I, I needed an appointment with Bishop to renew my temple recommend. You know nobody can go right now, but they still want to live that temple standard life. And you'll get to a point in your life where going every week is not always possible. But live that standard. Live a life that is temple standard, as Elder Uchtdorf said. And especially when you when you are home and you are single and yeah you'll have school and you'll have other things going on but make it a point to go hit one of those early a.m. sessions on a Saturday live worthy of that and have that vision for yourself as a bonus point and this is why I made a reference to that scripture in Genesis 2 as soon as you are able get out of your house and stay out of your house If you can, pick really good roommates. And if you can juggle it with school, you know, do some work, pay some rent. But if you're home from a mission, it means you're an adult now. It means you're in your 20s. Now, the current generation has it a little bit different than even I did when I got home in 2005. School was just starting to get expensive and people were just starting to really mutter and murmur about how you couldn't discharge school debt and oh I really wanted to do this uh, art degree but now I have $30,000 in school debt and it's hard to pay it off amazingly the national discussion hasn't veered toward well don't take out money for something that isn't valuable enough for you to earn it back I mean you wouldn't go to a loan shark and take out $100,000 so you could go bet on roulette with the expectation that it was going to work and then go scream in his face saying, you know, hey, this is what I wanted to do. And yet people do that with college all the time. For the current generation, it's even more expensive. It's hard to work and go to school and be on your own. And so sometimes, you know, especially if you've got a good family situation, staying at home might be the best idea. For me, I should have gotten out a lot sooner and I should have gone and done what I wanted to do. And if people were going to be upset at me about that, I should have just reminded them, look, I love you. This is my life. I should have even told my girlfriend, I care a great deal about you and I want us to make it. But how are you going to build a, an eternal marriage, especially on you know somebody telling you, well, this is all you're going to be 
this is all, all the more valuable you're going to be to me based on the vocation that you choose, then she's not really choosing you, guys. She's trying to build a puzzle piece to fill a gap in, in her own life. And I think the right view of eternal marriage, of celestial marriage, isn't about finding somebody who does things for you and who, who does things that you can't do. It has to be about building a life together. You both put in 100% together. It's not about obtaining something that you require. That's There's an objectification element to that. You know, you... You're building something new with your wife, brethren. Sisters, you're building something new with your husband. And you have to work together. You have to agree on things. And even as President Hinckley says, it does require a mutual degree of toleration. Uh, as soon as you do start living together, you're going to start seeing the things that you didn't see when you were apart. Um, and those things are minor, and you just need to make sure that you can talk to your husband or your wife about those things. Um, one really great book that my wife and I read while we were engaged, it was 300 Questions That LDS Couples Should Ask Before Marriage. It's kind of a little workbook. You can fill them, you know, the answers out and write them in there. But, you know, we just, we made it a point of, of discussing. And it was everything from spiritual questions to temporal questions, you know, ideas that you had for raising children, for career, for taking care of family members and stuff. You know, my friend John just mentioned this to me last night while he and I were having a chat about you know in-laws and life and stuff and you know when when you marry somebody you're you're really marrying into the whole family you're marrying their family life and adopting it into your own my wife has eight siblings her parents were divorced you know probably about a year after my parents were divorced you know my dad is out of my life now and her dad is out of her life now and of her eight younger siblings, two of them have, uh, you know, mental disabilities. They'll never be completely independent. And we figure at some point, one of them is going to have to come live with us because my mother-in-law won't be able to take care of them forever. Two of the other siblings have chronic health problems and hopefully won't be in the same situation forever, but they're, they're in their early 30s and still living at home. And my mother-in-law is in her mid-50s and still has to work all the time. And you know, these, are, these are situations that I have to take into account for my future because at some point it may become necessary to provide for some of my wife's siblings who can't do it for themselves. Uh, you know, these are considerations that you need to make. If you really love each other, you can... You can address those things and, and figure out, you know, how you're going to accommodate those needs. But those are important discussions that you need to have beforehand. You know, what, what really are the expectations that you're going to have of each other for the future? So those are the bits of advice that I would give to you, really at any age, but especially applicable to return missionaries. Um, you know, when, when you come back, it's an exciting time. You're fresh off the boat. You're kind of a, a clean slate in terms of you know what you can do with your future. And understand that you're not going to make all of the right decisions. It's impossible to go through this phase of your life without any regrets, I think. 
that's fine. It's uh, it's kind of a microcosm of the plan of salvation. But the entire point of it is to learn. These are just the points of wisdom that I wish I had internalized during this phase. I would have made some different decisions in my life. At the same time, because my past is my past now, if I had made different decisions, I probably wouldn't have been in Provo when I was. I probably wouldn't have made the friends that I did, and I wouldn't have met my wife. So, I don't regret it too hard. If I could do it all over again and still have Shara, but also make better career choices, I definitely would. But you, fortunately, are on the, uh, the other side of that, and you've got a chance to, uh, to get it a little bit more right the first time. So that is it, brothers and sisters. I appreciate you coming with me on this journey to the Faro, to the Lighthouse, to the Spain-Barcelona mission, to my time there, to the places where I was sent, and to the people I got to meet. I hope that you always, always keep the faith. Follow Jesus Christ, live as your God commands you, sustain his prophets, live the doctrine. This way lies happiness. See you out there.